and welcome back to Dad Teaches Me About Wine, the podcast that teaches you as much as you pretend to know about wine. My name is Madeline Quigley. And I'm Matt Quigley. Woohoo! So, happy Thanksgiving to our dear listeners. Even if you don't live in America, um... Do you think we have any overseas? You have no clue. I know our listener numbers, and I'm going to say it'd be unlikely. Um, but even so, happy Thanksgiving. And to you, too. Yeah, cool. So we are here today, back in my dad's office, um, to discuss Thanksgiving wine, um, a topic kind of that my dad came up with. Um, but before we do, I want to give a quick shout out. You remember how I said that if anyone left us a review, I'd give them a shout out on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I got a couple. Hopefully it's a good one. They're all good ones, which is super wow. nice. Yeah. Dad's like, I'm surprised. I hate this podcast. Um, yes, these are our reviews. So from, we did Leah's, we have Avelt, who wonder who that is. Thanks so much, Avel. We have J.K. Uh, Bozeman. Thank you so much. And then Tariel Goldine. No clue who that is. Um, but thanks to all of those people for uh, your reviews. They're so helpful. Um, and we appreciate it. So, yeah, if you give us a review um, on iTunes, you'll definitely get a shout-out in the podcast. So, thanks. Um, yeah, so what are, what are we drinking today in front of us? These are big glasses. Yes, there are actually uh, some new glasses that I purchased, uh, big Spiegelou uh, uh, Pinot Noir glasses. They're like 28 ounce. Yeah, they're but, uh, really big. Right. They're, they're almost big. humorously big. Uh, is the point to give the wine more surface? It's to give it a larger area in which to, surface area, yeah. in which to give you the nose. So when you stick your nose in and smell. Oh, it's a, it's a smell thing. Well, it's, yeah, go ahead. Try. Okay. Put. I'm not getting it. I think I have Seriously, stuffing. Well, I'm getting like the, it smells a little smells bit on little, the nail polish remover well, it smells side. smells a little funky. Yeah, I'm right. Because that's, um, that's Gamay. So what we're drinking today is actually a Nouveau Beaujolais. Uh, Viva la France. Oh, uh, oui. Uh, so do you want to explain the legend... Um, of Nouveau Beaujolais. Yeah, so Nouveau Beaujolais is an interesting phenomenon because it's uh, it's basically a blade that cuts two ways. So um, Nouveau Beaujolais was created about 25 years ago because before that, Beaujolais was vinified just like any other wine, brought in, put in oak, kept for a couple of years and then or a year or two and then released. This was just Beaujolais? Yes. Which, like, is that a, a region Beaujolais. in France? Correct. Okay. So Beaujolais... Like Bordeaux or some... Correct. Crap. They love those B words. Yeah. So Beaujolais is an area south of another B word, Burgundy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the primary grape there is different than what occurs in Burgundy. So in Burgundy, you have the Pinot Noir grape is the primary red wine grape. But in Beaujolais, you have the Gamay grape. So, I don't know, perhaps 25, 30 years ago, things weren't going too well. And Georges de Boeuf, 
who is a big negotiant in the area, meaning somebody who buys up a lot of grapes and makes wine just under the Beaujolais okay. label, decided that they needed to do something to sell more wine. So he created the idea of the Nouveau Beaujolais, which is a wine that would be sold the same year in which it was harvested. So in front of us, we have a 2017 Momasson Nouveau Beaujolais. And Momasson is the producer. Producer, mm-hmm. yes. How Do most producers in the Beaujolais area make a Nouveau Beaujolais? No. There's only a handful of people who make the Nouveau Beaujolais because it's sort of become kind of a junk wine and a way to get rid of grapes that otherwise wouldn't Oh really? Wouldn't was pass it ever muster. good? Not really. But it was oh, it was pretty much a marketing thing from day yes. one. But he did a good job. Oh, the marketing part of it worked quite well. But as I said, it's a two-edged sword. It also destroyed the reputation of Beaujolais. So everyone's idea of Beaujolais is a very light throwaway wine. Mm-hmm. When in fact there are actually very relatively complex Beaujolais wines, but you wouldn't know it because okay. of what has happened with the whole Nouveau Beaujolais movement. So most people, even wine people, when you think Beaujolais, you think Nouveau, which is um, it's like, one this very like small part. Juice. Yes. That's because it literally is wine juice. Yeah, it's not. It's crushed. It's allowed to go through fermentation and then thrown in a bottle and sold. Um, so this wine literally was on the vine two couple, months ago. Two couple months ago. Yep. They got to work fast. Uh, so when you see Beaujolais on a menu, because I was recently at a French restaurant and I saw Beaujolais on a menu... Um, that's not like Nouveau Beaujolais from a couple of years ago. It's from the rest of the Beaujolais area that's producing wine. Not tradition. unless it says Nouveau. It'll say Nouveau. Do people drink like Nouveau Beaujolais from last year? No. What happens to all that wine? It gets turned into fertilizer. It just gets dumped out. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, there is no market for last year's Nouveau any more than, you know, the newspaper from a week ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. How? Yeah, I wonder. But so... The one you got, because, um, so my mom purchased the Nouveau Beaujolais, and she was so kind to let us, it says Beaujolais Nouveau, so I feel like we should say it like that, uh, which is the proper way to say it. Uh, she got these bottles, and she was kind enough to let us drink some of it. Um, she got two types, and you said this one was better because... Of the producer. Of the producer was a better producer than the other one. Oh, absolutely. So, so this is Mom Misson... Correct. So the other producer is George Duboeuf, who invented Nouveau Beaujolais. So this is one of those situations where the guy who invented something isn't necessarily one to do it best. Mm-hmm. So George Duboeuf basically is a huge uh, negotiant. So Is he a, still around? Uh, I don't know if he is, but the company certainly is. Did, okay. So it's really important to understand negotiant wines. So negotiant wines are wines that are put together by people who buy grapes from various producers and then put together Producers or growers. Correct. No, that was I'm a question. 
from growers. I, I Isn't what's mix, the what's I don't the difference between the vocabulary? Then what's the difference between a grower, a producer, and a negotiant? A negotiant is somebody who puts together a number of different growers, puts all their grapes together, and produces a wine. Why? But this gets to be called Beaujolais. Right, because all the grapes came from Beaujolais. Okay. And they're all 2017 grapes. I'm not sure I totally get the difference between negotiator and producer, but we're getting off topic. Yes, I kind of understand, but I think that I'm a little Well, the, the point is that, that wines that are made by negotiants tend to be not as, um, not as good as wines that are produced by single producers. That makes sense. Yeah. Kind of just like the location thing. Because you're mixing mixing and matching. Yeah. Well, this, these labels are really pretty, and I think people in bigger cities have big parties. Is it fun yes. in France? Do they have fun with it? You know, I don't know if it's still a big deal anymore in France. It used to be a big deal in the United States. You know, restaurants would hold special events and everything. But I think after a while, people realized that the wine itself was hardly worth a party. Oh, all right. So why are we talking about this wine in terms of Thanksgiving? Yeah. Today we're talking about Thanksgiving wines. Um, well, I'm going to guess that this is a wine that uh, would be good at Thanksgiving. No. Oh, that. so you brought it out because it won't be good? <laughs> I brought it out because real Beaujolais would be good at Thanksgiving. How different does Nouveau Beaujolais taste from normal Beaujolais? Night and day. Okay. Um, but if you're looking for something in your price, would this taste bad at Thanksgiving? Um, I think if you were going over to... Um, Friendsgiving, they call it. Yes, exactly. And all the bottles were going to get mixed up. I think you'd pass muster with this. You brought over like... Yeah, you brought over Someone's like, can you bring over like six or seven bottles of wine? It's like, <laughs> I'm going to just grab some of that discounted Nouveau Beaujolais. Yeah, that, that would probably pass muster, but... Um, what I want to do is to give a real uh, to give a shout out to real Beaujolais. So uh, Beaujolais is probably the most unappreciated underappreciated parts of France because of the buff, um, right? Because of the bad press from Nouveau, as well as the fact that it tends to get overshadowed by Burgundy, and most people would prefer a glass of good glass of Pinot Noir over a glass of uh, Burgund- uh, Beaujolais. Those the, are, may I, sorry. Two That's different grapes. Gamay and... Right. Oops, so, sorry. So that would be Pinot Noir versus Gamay. So it's two different grapes, but there are areas of Beaujolais that produce really fine wines that would be excellent uh, Thanksgiving wines. And I certainly don't mean to restrict our discussion today to Beaujolais, and they're the only wines you can have with Thanksgiving, because that would would be a mistake. But for those folks who are who are out looking around in the store to figure out what are they going to serve with a meal and you know are facing the usual choices of a California cab um, or whatever or a big California Zin, there are a number of other wines that they ought to consider and certainly Beaujolais is one of them. I would just, again, a shout out to two areas that you should seriously consider 
And those are Morgan, M-O-R-G-O-N, and Fleury. Morgan sounds like a villain from uh, Lord of the Rings. Well, but it's also a very good wine. Um, Morgan and what's the other fleur de lis? No, just Fleury. Fleury. Uh, oh, like our, our, our ex-goalie. True. Okay. Uh, and on those bottles, nowhere will you see the word Beaujolais. Because of Mr. LeBeouf or whatever. Pretty much. Hey, they're, really? they're running. Yeah, they're running away from that. Oh, that's a bummer. Can I just say, though, that you initially were like, people, you know, looking for a wine, they're at the store, and they're like, California cabs in. I'm just going to say, I don't think people have even made it that far. I think that if I went into the, the, I think we should start with, like, kind of at baseline, like, you're walking into the store to grab a bottle of wine for a Thanksgiving-esque meal. You know, I think most people realize probably red. Uh, not necessarily. Exactly. Let's start there. Sure. Um, so clearly a Thanksgiving meal has uh, a whole panoply, a plethora of different tastes. Nice word. Yeah. Yeah. I, I scored well on my vocabulary part of the SATs. They, they took those. They had those back yeah, then. They had it back then. So you're ne- don't necessarily you're trying to match one particular taste. So I try to, I try to bring a wine that's big enough to stand up to the whole different range of what what you might encounter. Like a, yeah, like a chameleon wine. Correct. Precisely. Okay. So I think that if you're the one setting the meal, I think you're going to want give, to give your guests both a white and a red. That's my dad's strategy always. Always. I think that's a really underappreciated... You know, take the question, instead of white or red, just give them both. Just give them a glass of both. That's such a classy move. And then you don't necessarily have to pour full pours for both glasses. So if you're afraid that, oh, I may run out and, you know, if Aunt Sadie only drinks the white and she doesn't drink her red, then what happens to the red in her glass, that kind of thing, then just pour, you know, do two ounce pours in the glasses, and if people start drinking, then you know which one they want. Which one they want, and you can, you know, you can do a little more generous pours on their, on their glasses. But it's nice to start out with both, so so that you don't have this kind of, which I find very irritating and um, uh, very difficult uh, question to go around before the meal starts. Do you want white or red? Well. You know, you don't even know what's being served. Well, it's Thanksgiving. You and know you're what's being, being asked, served. Well, true, but in general. Yeah. At most any... of the time, you have no idea what's being served. And beforehand, you're being asked what wine to order. Uh, I, I would just say that, you know, buy enough wine stems that you can put a white and a red glass out and pour a white and a red for each person. Yeah, but what do you do for that, like, 30 minutes before the meal starts when they first arrive? Um, then you're going to want to start with an aperitif wine. Which is like a sparkly wine or Sparkly a... is excellent. So... And that doesn't necessarily mean champagne. That can be like correct. muscadet or... Uh, you can do a sparkling Loire. Not a muscadet, but a sparkling Loire. Is muscadet Use sparkly? A... No. Okay. Use it called a cremant or a cava from oh, Spain. Oh, a cava. Oh, yeah. Love or a prosecco cava. from Italy. Yeah, a, a little sparkly wine, I think, a is a really great to start. start. Yeah, it looks really classy. Yeah. 
And everyone, of course, thinks it's champagne because they don't know the difference. Yeah, yeah. They don't, you, they don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Then when you go to the table, you have two glasses there, a white and a red, and you want to have both of them poured before the meal starts. Okay. Yes. So okay. they're breathing and people don't have to worry about a choice. Right. So they immediately know that they can choose either. Mm-hmm. So what type of wine should we for Thanksgiving. We for well, Thanksgiving? I think, and also I think important to give the chameleon because I think a lot of people like if you're hosting a big dinner party, it might be a bit of a potluck, and you're generally I think knowing a good chameleon wine isn't a bad call generally right. for dinner parties. Right. So let's talk about whites. So what we're going to want is something with some acid, which isn't really a profound wine. So we're not going to go. We're not going to spend a hundred dollars on a white Burgundy. <laughs> Uh, on Thanksgiving. Oh, speak for yourself, Dad. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, so um, something like a Sauvignon Blanc would be good. So uh, certainly... Why? Well, because it's acidic and Does that, light, uh, fruity. Uh, so it, it, it's a, it sort of carries the, the high notes of the meal. And then the red is going to carry... The more bass tones mm-hmm. as far as the the deeper, uh, more textured flavors. So you're going to want something to carry high and then carry low. Can you give me an example of a bad white wine? Something that wouldn't pair well with a... You're going to see, say, Pinot Grigio. <laughs> no, actually, I think a Pinot Grigio would be okay. Uh, because it tastes Gr- like nothing. Well, the problem <laughs> I'll be here is all week. It's so light. That when you pair it with a meal, it tends to get lost. It's okay to drink at a bar, but when you start pairing it with food, it tends to get lost. So I would prefer something like uh, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Easy Call from New Zealand, tends to be big and fruity, or from... Is that a producer? No, it's a country, New Zealand. No, you said Easy Call. It, no, it's an easy call. To, oh, for, I thought that easy. See, this is the issue with wine. Easy call could be a producer. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. No. What I'm saying is it's, it's it's sort of an obvious choice. What about like Chardonnay? Well, yeah, Chardonnay is okay, but obviously it's very well, it's a very well trod path. Yeah, basic. Um, don't be basic. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got a good one sitting in the cellar, you can bring it out. But you're, you're probably going to get a better bang for your buck to go um, away block. from Shard because for the price point, you were going to make a bigger impression with a Sauvignon uh-huh. Blanc uh-huh. than you are with a, with a Chardonnay. Or um, some, of the, some of the really neat Spanish whites, like from Rias, uh, the Rias Bias wines uh-huh. from the western part of Spain, very acid Almost have a little fizz. Is it, will those be labeled Rias Bias? Yeah, there. It's the Alberino grape, and the area is called is the Rias Rias Bias. Okay, this is good to know. Um, and these are good. And I like the strategy of the two wines and start filling the glass right. that are drinking more. Um, the other thing, if you want to go really kind of local, is to do a uh, like a, a Finger Lake Riesling. Yeah, um, it's a little sweeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so depending on your the crowd that you're 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 uh, feeding, if they're not more if they're not a more sophisticated uh, wine crew, they may appreciate the Riesling more than they would a 
a uh, New Zealand uh, Sauvignon Blanc. But these, again, are wines that are under $20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are um, nice wines to pair because they don't, they hit the high notes, uh, but they don't challenge the the uh, the more profound things that uh, in terms of the taste from the meal. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I think that that's a good, and I also personally think, and I know you'll agree with me, buy more wine than you think you need. The worst thing is running out. I'm sure people will bring some, but it just kills the fun when you don't have enough wine. Yeah. So the rule of thumb is a, uh, it sounds outrageous, but it's a bottle per person. No, I think that that's... And if you're sitting there for three hours of a meal, that's about what it works out to, having been a veteran of many, many meals. Well, no, true, because a bottle of wine's only like four glasses. It's really not as well. Well, four generous glasses, yes. (laughs) College dad, all right? Yeah. Um, A bottle is just one person. So, yeah, I totally, I think that's a good thing to consider as well, which means, you know, you have six people coming, maybe get three whites, three reds, and then you're good to go. Right, and then maybe you want to throw in an extra red because people are going to kind of... Gravitate. Yeah, around the end of the meal and sort of they're not going to want to switch back to white after they've sort of focused in on the red okay so so you're going to want to go heavier on the red than you do on the white so maybe start off the night with like a cheap cava sorry inexpensive or a good value uh cava or prosecco to welcome them happy thanksgiving yeah, i love the, the the spanish cavas i mean you have that what's that luna oh i i don't remember any of the brands but uh you know you can walk into any wine store in the country and ask for a for a cava and you know you can get out of there easily for fifteen dollars yeah get a good cava just that's a really nice like touch to start off with and then with the meal you got the white and the red um and so on the white side we're thinking uh what were you saying sauvignon blanc or a um what was the other one so we're finger lakes riesling or the spanish rias bias right correct or alternatively, the the Portuguese uh, Vino Verde. Vino Verde. I think <clears throat> that's a across, really good one. Just across the border. Okay. Yeah. Similar similar wine, just across the border. So, let's talk about the reds. Yeah, definitely. So, this is always a a question for the ages, as far as what red wine to serve with Thanksgiving. So, if it's been really? a que- yeah. So, if it's been a question for the ages, the answer is nobody knows. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like so that. It's, so it's a... Um, it, Wait, you don't know the a question? You don't know the answer to, Dad? That's because there is no correct <laughs> yeah. answer. That's why. Uh-huh. So one of my favorite go-to wines for Thanksgiving is a wine that really is a, is big and, and fruity, uh, but really covers a whole multitude of, of subtle A chameleon flavors. wine. Yes, exactly. I'll have to adopt your... Yeah, you got Roy, I got Chameleon. Yeah, so uh, Chateauneuf de Pop. Heard this one around the house before. So Chateauneuf de Pop wine comes from the southern uh, part of France. It's uh, the very south end of the Rhone River. And it's uh, it's called Chateauneuf de Pop because that's where the the popes moved to when the... um, Papacy went from Rome to France mm. uh, mm-hmm. for 75 or 100 years. Mm-hmm. So in uh, the popes moved into Avignon, and around Avignon 
is the area called Chateauneuf de Pope, meaning the Chateau of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And these wines are... Um, What's the grape? Uh, well, actually, there are 13 different grapes that can go They into. don't really make it easy, do they? Well, but they do in the sense that um, it's primarily what's called the GSM wine. Grenache, Syrah, Movedra. So most of the wines, 90 plus percent of the wine, is a mixture of those three grapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the wine is uh, can be anywhere from really solid to profound, depending on Who you makes know, which it. producer that yeah. you pick. The, uh, the guiding star of the area is a, a, a producer called Bocassel. But are you going to buy that for 10 people? Uh, only if you have a big bankroll. Yeah. It's going to cost you about 75 a bottle. Yeah, okay. So. But a routine Chateauneuf will be about 30 to 35 What would the bottle say, Chateauneuf de Pop? It would say Chateauneuf de Pop and then the producer in the year. Okay. Yep. And you like this because it... Why? It really... Because it's a very expressive wine, it's big enough to match the food, but not so big as to overwhelm the mm-hmm. food. Can you think of uh, another wine that you a red that you? Well, of would... course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's I, why I uh, let him hang out. So these I questions. think another great wine with Thanksgiving would be a uh, Australian Syrah. Okay. So, uh, or Shiraz. I was going to say, what about a Shiraz? <laughs> yeah. So it's called Shiraz in Australia, but it's the Syrah grape, mm-hmm. and the Syrah grape is planted everywhere. The U.S. It was uh, believed to have originated from Shiraz, Iran, in the Middle East. I think, yeah, I think we've had this, this little chat on <clears throat> on the show before. Uh, but the Syrah Syrah grape in Australia is a very big fruity wine, and it's a very easy quaffable wine, which can easily stand up to uh, virtually any um, any meal. So this is a, a really uh, excellent wine to pair with a Thanksgiving feast. Uh, some of my favorites are from uh, the uh, McLaren uh, area, which is a, a portion of South Australia. Uh, but uh, it's really hard to go wrong with a uh, Australian um, with an Australian uh, Shiraz. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I like that. Um, and those are those can be more inexpensive, right? Right. You can find a reasonable Australian Shiraz, again, for less than $30. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything really cheap that you would suggest? Like, let's say, like, you're me, okay? Well, you're not me because you're going to be providing my Thanksgiving wine, Dad. But let's say you're someone who's like, uh, you know, I'm really on a budget and you just need to pick like a varietal, like you're going to go like Merlot or you're going to go this or that. What what general varietal if you're going to be going like yellowtail blank? Well, if you're going down the yellowtail trail. N- not specifically, well, but no, you know what I really mean. If you're really going inexpensive, then the Shiraz tends to be the no-brainer. Okay. Because it's really hard to make a bad Shiraz wine. Okay. All right, that's good to know. Um, what about like a Merlot? Is that too much? Well, I think Merlot, again, tends to be pretty unoffensive. 
Um, it may not be a particularly good wine, depending on the producer and how much money you spend. Um, in order to get a really good Merlot, you sort of have to know what you're you're looking for. What I was going to suggest is if you want to go up the price scale to start... <laughs> Our heads are in two different places right well, now. Well, start looking for some Pinot Noirs. And what I would look for are some single vineyard producers in um, Santa Barbara. There is a specific area within Santa Barbara called the uh, Santa Rita Hills. is an appellation right along the river valley where the where the ocean breezes come in and cools the area. Them sea breezes. So if you see something, if you see a single producer making Santa Rita Hills wine. Jump on it. Yeah, the, and these wines may be in the thirty to thirty-five dollar range. I don't. And these are going to be, uh, these are going to be, you know, really solid, excellent wines. Well, yeah, I think that's a really good thing actually to consider because if you're hosting Thanksgiving, you might not be buying, um, you know, five bottles of that. But if you're going to someone's Thanksgiving and you're wanting to bring, wanting to bring a gift, that's right. because as I've kind of learned. You spend 10 extra dollars in wine sometimes, and it can make a world of difference. Well, that's why you should listen to this to podcast. Shows like Subscribe this. and tell all of your friends. Well, and read and understand. So why couldn't you just get an average Pinot Noir? Well, the problem is that an average Pinot Noir is going to taste very average. So Pinot Noir is a very popular grape. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of it being produced. Mm-hmm. So you have to pick and choose in mm-hmm. order to get something that's really um, a good uh, demonstration of the grape. I just happened to mention, uh, you know, one particular wine from the Santa Rita Hills. And it's not that that one particular wine is so great. It's just that if you pick a single producer from a very specific area, you have a very high likelihood of getting a good wine. So don't look for just Pinot Noir. Look for like so-and-so, from so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Like look for more descriptors. Right. That's why I mentioned Santa Rita Hills, Santa Barbara. You will not Sub-AVA. see... Sub-AVA. Yeah, you will not see... No, it's its its own AVA, but you will not see Santa Barbara on the label. All you will see is Santa Rita Hills. Gosh, this is so confusing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, there's so many areas... Well, I'm trying to give people ideas. No, I think in, this is super helpful. In terms of um, coming up with really wines that are going to complement their, their dining experience, their meal, but at the same token, not cost a fortune. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I can suggest wonderful wines at $60 a bottle, but uh, I don't think that's what the listening crew is necessarily no, into. No, but if they are, they are welcome to reach out to us at Dad Teaches Us... Oh, no, sorry. I've had uh, a glass of wine. Sorry, guys. Dad Teaches Me About Wine at gmail.com. If you'd like to know a, a nicer $60 range uh, wine, we'd be happy to help you out. I'm sure you could send us your full menu and Dad would help you pair something. Um, well, I think that's pretty good. Okay. Um, thanks so much. I think this was really helpful. What do you think? I believe so. Yeah.
we well, had a lot of specific uh, recommendations. Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be good and uh, accessible ones. I think people will be able to find some of them. And I actually got to say, I know that this wine is like a marketing scam. I thought it was pretty good. Like, well, that's because Momassan is a, a Burgundy producer who actually makes uh, Premier Cru and Grand Cru wine, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. So that's why I knew when Mom brought two bottles home that I was going to drink this one. Yeah. Okay. And not the George DeBuff. <laughs> <laughs> hope George DeBuff isn't a, a follower of this podcast. Yeah, I hope he's not listening to this podcast. Um, cool. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening um, to Dad Teaches Me About Wine podcast. Um, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Happy holidays. Uh, we'll be keeping in touch. If you like this episode, let us know and we can do something similar, maybe leading into um, the holidays and even like how to gift a wine, I think could be a really good episode. So um, the best place for updates is our Instagram page at dad teaches me about wine. Questions, comments, concerns, and corrections can be sent to dad teaches me about wine at gmail.com. Otherwise, please subscribe, tell your friends, rate and review. It always helps us so much. Uh, Dad, any final words from you? No. Okay. Cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs>